Um, I'm looking at Revelation chapter 12. I just, I felt it was important tonight. I felt it was important tonight to start off in a sense from a foundation, from a fundamental place. And for me, I don't know about you, but the fundamental place for me in relating to the Lord is always the blood of Jesus. Amen? Because you can't get access without the blood. Amen? We have access through the blood, and you can come boldly, and we'll look at that as we go on. But, you know, when, when we start to engage with the Lord, then we come through precious blood. We don't come, you know, saying how good we are, how wonderful Christians we are. We come on the merits of the, the shed blood. And that is really, and, and here's a, a key for you, um, and I'm sure you use it anyway, but, you know, always make that the thing you plead, the merit that you plead. Because, you know, you can get into, and I'm not saying anybody here would, but some people might, that mistake of telling God how good a Christian you are, or how hard you're trying, or trying to get approval from him because you're suffering for Jesus. And we all feel sorry for ourselves at times, don't we? And you know, we think suffering for Jesus is missing a bus. Yeah, I hear people, the devil attack me. Oh, what happened? Well, I missed a bus. You know, that type of thing, um, where it's quite trivial. And, and I've said it many times, you think of the Covenanters. There's a street at the top of this street named after a Covenanter. And he was hung really just along at the Royal there. It wasn't the Royal then, but that's where they used to hang people outside the city gates. The city gates used to be along there. And outside the city gates is where they would hang them. And there's a guy, James Nisbet. And there was a few James Nisbets who were Covenanters. They all came from the same area of Ayrshire. But one of them was a famous guy, the other was semi-famous. But the guy who was hung for being a Christian, being a Protestant Christian, uh, over 300 years ago, and they named that street at the top of this street after him, he wasn't famous. And the reason they hung him was because he attended meetings. Covenanter meetings, church meetings. Forbidden meetings, underground meetings. He was, he went to meetings that the government of that time didn't allow, and he didn't hide it. And you know, his testimony is actually online that, that he gave before they, hang, they hung him. And um, you'd think you were reading something from a great theologian, but he was just an ordinary Joe. He wasn't a preacher. He only his crime was he went to meetings. And you know, sometimes maybe when we think about persecution and we're being persecuted, and, and I think we are, I think that, that it's begun. The great persecution of believers is certainly with us, but it's not at that level yet where you can be hung or beheaded or killed just for coming to meetings. Imagine if they said, if you go to that meeting uh, in Tharsis Street, where Bill McMurdo's preaching, we'll hang you. You might think twice. But those guys didn't think twice. To them, going to meetings was just, well, we do it, we pay the price. And I believe that the Lord wants all of us to be prepared to pay that price. Because somebody had put something on Facebook uh, about 
tyranny and other people. So you think what we're going through is tyranny. What about people that were martyred and so on? But tyranny doesn't begin with what happened to the Covenanties or the killing times as they called it. It doesn't begin with the government suddenly saying we're going to kill you. It begins long before that. It begins by, by we're going to lock you down. We're not going to allow you to meet. We're, uh, we're not going to allow you to sing. You need to wear masks. You need to do this. It begins, George Orwell said, a famous quote, he said, imagine the future. The future looks like this, a boot stamping on a human face forever. That's a famous George Orwell quote. And, and, I, and I put in this Facebook thing, tyranny doesn't begin with the boot stamping. It begins when someone decides to put the boot on. And that's where we are right now, I think, is that our governments have put the boots on and they've laced them up and they're ready and they're trying them out. And the next thing is your face and mine. As Christians, you know, I see, you know, it's not paranoia, uh, but I do see it that everything that's happening in the world right now, it's really about, for me, one thing. USB. Which is, it's against Christians. You know, it's not paranoia. I believe that it's against Christians. Uh, everything is just, it's all hidden. That this is for your good, this is for your benefit, this is for everybody's benefit. But really it's all about shutting Christian churches. But really silencing Christians. Silencing our voice. Silencing our prayers. Silencing our praise. You think, well, why would they silence praise? Because praise shifts atmospheres. She's, praise destroys demonic strongholds and worship destroys demonic strongholds when it's, when it's right, when it's real, when it's authentic. Now we can go to churches that just sing hymns or we can praise and worship God and it doesn't take many of us to be in that place of praise and worship to change things. I believe that the governments that are the if you like, the handlers and masters of the, the governments that we see, the globalist powers or whatever you want to call them, the occult powers, they know that there's coming an age and time when God is going to move mightily and they want to try and preempt and shut that down to stop it happening. And the bad news for them is it ain't going to happen. What it's actually going to do, I believe, is going to provoke the Lord himself if you read Psalm 2, it says, don't get him angry. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. You don't want him angry. And the Lord himself will respond to this, but he'll do it through us. You know, if you believe that what's happening and what's going to happen, and, and I'm getting off on this stuff, which is not what I want to speak about, but if you believe what's going to happen, it's going to happen to you. You need to change your thinking to thinking it's going to happen through you. Don't have small ideas. Don't have small visions. Don't have, uh, oh well, revival will break out and it would be good, good to see it. No, revival will break out as we've just sang there. Revival. Start the work in me. Revival comes from me. Start the work in me. So let's be willing to position ourselves to be the vessels that God uses and believe for that. So little old me, well, forget that little old me thinking. 
It's not little old me or little old you. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not your power. It's not your wisdom. It's not your ability. But multitudes and nations are your destiny. And taking Scotland for Jesus is absolutely your destiny. Amen? And I'll tell you this. He'll always start small. Okay, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who rules over the whole universe was born in a manger, a feeding trough. Not born in a king's palace. God likes to do things with small things. He likes to do things with hidden things. And he brings that which is hidden into manifestation at the right time. So what's hidden in this room tonight, brothers and sisters, is the greatest revival the world has ever seen the great awakening that is the mother of all awakenings, you, you could say. Far, far greater than every other move of God in the last 2,000 years combined. It's hidden in this room tonight. It's hidden in your heart. And mine. So, Revelation chapter 12. I'll just uh, read some verses here. Um, a couple of verses, and we know them well. Revelation 12, 10, 11. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven... And I want to say there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices. There's Sky News, BBC, Daily Mail, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I know a lot of you like TikTok. Amen. But there's a lot of voices. But this is a voice God wants us to hear. A loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Let's just stop there. It says now. Now those things have come. Are you claiming that? Because sometimes we read this as, oh, one day, oh, yes, one day, Lord. But the Bible says now, and the Bible says now, that's God speaking, and he's saying now. That's what the loud voice from heaven is saying, it's now. It's not just, oh, this is going to happen. This, oh, glory to God, we'd love to see it. It'll probably not happen in my time. No, now it's come. Now it's happened. Now it's here. Jesus said, you say there are yet so many months till harvest. What he's saying is you're putting off the harvest to the future. He says, but look, the fields are ripe for harvest now. What God sees and what we see need to be matched up in a line. Because what we see is all this is the future. Probably won't happen in my time, but all oh, glory to God. It'll happen in some Future point, no, now. Faith is now, now faith is. We need to be now people, friends. Now, these things. And it says, now has come salvation, strength, the kingdom, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You know that word, accuse, accuser, Categorio, we get the word categorize from it or label. The devil wants to label you and I. Loser. Yeah? Failure. Downtrodden. Weak. But the Bible says, no, now has come strength. Now has come power. Satan's labels and categorizations are not valid what's valid is what God says because what God says about us is eternally true we've all failed 
We've all been losers, haven't we? We've all been weak. We've all lost stuff. We've all been categorized, and we've lived up to that label. But brothers and sisters, God doesn't categorize us and label us with the same stuff that Satan does. He says that we're world overcomers. We're more than conquerors. Amen? We're crowned with glory and honor. So I accept God's categorization, not the accusers. Now watch this. It says here, he's cast down, which accused him before God, didn't he? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's what I'm talking about. That, there's our foundation, the blood. You see, if you're losing or have lost, or you're sitting there saying, I'm, I'm a failure to me. I'm a garbage Christian. And whoever, who's ever felt like that? I believe every one of us, yeah? I've messed up. And the Lord is saying, well, you've maybe messed up, but you're still an overcomer. That's still your identity. You can mess up a thousand times, but that's not your identity. Your identity isn't. Your identity that Satan would give you is a messed up person. But God's identity is overcomer. You say, well, what's that got to do with taking Scotland for Jesus? Everything. Because you can't take Scotland for Jesus until you know who you are in Him. Who we are in Him trumps everything else. And the reality of it. And you know, you say, well, how am I going to manifest that? By believing it first and, and, and speaking it. Because you release your faith by what you say. I'm, a, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm, I'm a world overcomer. God has given Scotland to me. People say, who do you think you are? Well, it's not who you think you are, it's who God says you are. And the reality is, you are who God has created you to be and who he says you are. And he says, of you and I, we overcame the devil. And you notice it's not, you will one day, if you pray enough, fast enough, read enough uh, scripture, read 10 chapters a day, and if you're not winning, read 20, and come to church every meeting, and, and just be a good little Christian, and one day you'll be an overcomer. No, he says, you've overcome him. You overcame him. Past tense. You were born again in Christ as an overcomer. Okay? It just has to manifest in our lives, if it hasn't yet already. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. See, the blood and the word are tied up when it says to your testimony. If you don't confess what the blood has done for you, where it has positioned you, what it has given you access to, and what it's doing for you right now, and we'll look at some of that. If you don't speak that out, you have to have both working. Because that God's done his part by Jesus giving and shedding his blood. But you have to Align yourself with that, and how you do that is with words. So it's the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Your testimony concerning the blood of the Lamb. Which is why I said to you, when I'm engaging with the Lord, I start off with the blood. You know, because the blood cleanses you. It's, it's already redeemed you. But you know, sometimes if you, if you goof up, goof up, goof off, mess up, whatever, you want to come back, well, how do you come back? You come back through the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. 
Amen? So our walk with our fellowship with God is restored by the blood of the Lamb as believers. Now, we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. And that's the bit, folks, that I think is going to separate the remnant from the rump at this time. Okay, we're all, we're all cleansed by the blood, the word of our testimony, we all have a testimony. I love listening to people's testimonies, how they get saved, or what God has done for them, because it really, really encourages faith. But the game changer is they love not their lives unto the death. Because a lot of Christians, you see, when the covenanters were laying down their lives, there were other people who said, you know, I'm not going to be that extreme. I'm just going to kowtow to the government because I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to lose my liberty. So the covenanters were a remnant. And a lot of people, oh, you guys are too extreme. And you know, it's interesting among the covenanters themselves, there were factions who thought other people were, were way too extreme. It's, it was, it's strange to read the true history of the covenanters because, like so many Christians, they, they, they had these factions. And, you know, they had real arguments. I mean, almost coming to blows. In fact, I think they did. But... You have to love not your life, but in other words, you have to count your life forfeit. Which, as we look around now and see, it's not that necessary, but if you're in Afghanistan, you're not preaching this, you're living this. There are people we believe have been martyred, many, many people in Afghanistan right now. Because, and I, I even read about some children who said to their parents, we'll never give up Jesus to their mums and dads. We'll join you in martyrdom. So it, it's, it's, you know, tell Afghanistan or Afghani Christians that you'll not have to go through great tribulation. You know, that thing, oh well, God will take us out of here long before tribulation happens. I, that's a Western Christian approach to things. Some third world, if you want to call it that, Christians in other countries. They don't have that luxury of saying, oh, well, you know, before it gets too bad, we'll be raptured out of here. They've already been through great tribulation. So, but it's the blood of the Lamb that gives us the victory. Amen? That's a wonderful truth. Now, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Why don't you just look at some scriptures about the blood? It's not a Bible study, folks. You know, let's look at a Bible study about the blood. No, this is life and death. Hebrews chapter 13, you we could go through so many, but just picking some out in Hebrews 13, this is a wonderful, I love this. And, and you know, this is, a, this is a hidden gem. And if you look at all the scriptures about the blood of the Lamb or the blood of Jesus, they, they say so much to us. It's, it's foundational. Hebrews 13, watch this, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The blood of the everlasting covenant. Do you know what that means? It means that when this was written, that blood was precious and could do so much for you. 2,000 years later, it's just as powerful as ever. That blood that has saved millions through history 
still has the same power tonight to, to save folks. But look what it does for you and I as believers. This is a wonderful passage. Watch. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. The blood of the everlasting covenant is working in your life if you cooperate with it to make you perfect. Now, you're created perfect in Christ as in you're born again perfect, but it's perfecting you right now to change you from glory to glory, from strength to strength, to make you more and more like Jesus. And it says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. What's God's will tonight? I believe God's will is Scotland for Jesus. Amen? Taking this nation back from the clutches of the evil one and making it once more Scotland being a land of the book, a people of the book, a consecrated land, people be consecrated sinners. That's God's will. So the blood of Jesus is working in you and I to make that happen tonight. It says, in every, uh, make you perfect to do his will every good work working in you you know the blood is working in you folks it's working in you it's, I don't feel it you don't have to feel it you just have to believe it working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever so the blood of the everlasting covenant is what is working in us and through us right now it's working it's doing a work and that work is the purpose of God and that purpose that we gather here and meet is for God to move in our community, in our city, in our nation of where we live and in the nation of Scotland and in the wider nation of uh, Great Britain. So tonight we should be saying, Lord, we cooperate with you, we align ourselves with you, we receive this, we thank you for the blood that is working in us to bring about your purpose and we are vessels of that to do your work, to do your will, to, to see a mighty move of God in this land. Amen. Now, just uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just look at a few of these and, and then, then we're going to just have a wee time where we... We respond to this and, and just um, allow the Lord to speak to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. This is the passage that Paul is speaking about taking communion. And it just says, speaking about Jesus, after the same manner, he took the cup when he sucked, saying, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. The Bible tells us that the new covenant in him is far better than the old covenant. And when you see what some of these guys did in the old covenant, parted seas, stopped the sun in the sky, did all kinds of crazy, wonderful things. But he says, you know, all those prophets, Jesus said, they were, they were mighty men. He says, but the least in the kingdom of heaven the least in the new covenant is greater than any of these guys. Greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. The least. He says John the Baptist was the greatest of them. I don't read the John the Baptist doing miracles. But Jesus said, well, he's, he's a top man in the old covenant order. 
of prophets and mighty men and saints. He says, but the least of you, who feels like the least? You're greater than John the Baptist and he's greater than all these other guys. Because what's he saying? The new covenant is so amazing, so much more wonderful. And the old covenant was something else. But this new covenant, the old covenant made at Sinai. Wow. But the new covenant. And what is that new covenant? In the cup. In other words, it's my blood. So when you plead the blood of Jesus, you heard that old phrase, I plead the blood of a lamb. We've used it, um, just, well, we use it all the time, but we've just used it on uh, Cam and Jess because of what happened to them. So we were, we're redoubling our efforts to plead the blood on, on all of us. Why? Because we know that Satan's out there. What do we do when we plead the blood? We're pleading everything that God said in his word. Because the new covenant includes, in a sense, the old covenant, but it's just an upgrade. So we're pleading this. We're pleading the new covenant, the entire, everything it says about Jesus, because everything about Jesus was in his blood that he shed because he emptied his very life, didn't he? He gave his life, the most precious substance, physical substance ever in all of creation was the blood that flowed in Jesus' veins. And it represented, just like your blood represents you, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when we plead his blood, we're pleading all that he is, all that he was and all that he ever will be. So it's the new covenant in his blood. So when we plead the blood, that's what we're doing. We're bringing everything Jesus is to bear on the situation. And then let's look at Colossians, just a couple more, two or three more to look at. Colossians chapter 1. You know, I get excited... I, I was raised, my, my great-grand was Salvation Army, so my dad was raised in the Salvation Army, and so he, got, he taught all these songs. My dad's not even saved, I have to say that, but I grew up, my dad was always singing or playing musically and on albums and stuff, songs about the blood, because that's what he, he was raised. And I just, from a very early age, I would get excited. There's something about all those old songs. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood? Would you be free from your birth? I loved all those blood songs. I don't even like having meetings where we don't sing about the blood. Because if you're a Christian, the blood of Jesus ought to do something to you at that deep fundamental spiritual level because it, it, it activates the glory, when you honor the blood, you bring, you attract the glory. The old Pentecostals knew that. They would sing about the blood because they knew when they sang about the blood, when they praised him for the blood, when they praised the blood, when they exalted the blood, the glory would come. Pleading the blood of Jesus, singing about the blood, honoring the blood, is a magnet for the glory of God. So that's why I get excited. Talking about it, singing about it, thinking about it, praying about it, confessing it, because I know it activates glory. Amen? So, Colossians chapter 1. We'll just rattle through this now, folks, in, in chapter 12. Giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means to buy back. It means to buy something precious back. Now, if you have any idea of business or economics, you'll know this, that the, the way economies work is, the way finance or transactions work is, is that you give what you have for something you consider more valuable or more precious. So ladies, when you go to Marks and Spencer and you see those dresses or those blouses or those clothes or that lovely new winter coat, all of that stuff, am I right? And, and you take your hard-earned money or your husband's hard-earned money, amen, and you say, that £110 coat, I've got £110 in my purse, but that coat's more valuable. It's worth more than that. I want that more than I want my £110. So I'll give my £110 for something that's more valuable to me. Amen? That's how it works. That's the law of economics or the law of transaction is that you'll always pay a price for something you consider to be more valuable to you. It might be a temporary thing. You might need that winter coat, but you pay the money because it's more valuable because £110 in your purse or in your cab is not going to keep you warm in a cold winter's night. And it might well be that it's something really precious to you, a diamond ring or, or if you're a man, because it's not just the ladies, you know, you might say, I've got to buy that Jeep. I've got to buy that car. Amen? I was sharing with the folks this morning, I bought myself a new watch this week, and it's a Timex. Amen? It's not a Rolex, it's a Timex. It's not an Omega. I've had nice watches, but I wanted to buy a Timex because my dad used to work for Timex and it was a nostalgic thing. Uh, and £30. £30. Look what it does. Indigo. That's amazing. <laughs> so that was more valuable to me than that money that I had. I paid for it. Okay? But that's just the law. If you want something, you pay the price. And the, the, you pay the price, you're saying to the seller, what you have is more valuable than my money, so I'll give you my money. Now think about this. What was the most precious thing that God had in his possession? His son. And what was the most precious thing in the physical universe to God? His son's life that flowed in his veins. This is how much God loved you that he said the most precious thing that's ever existed ever existed. My son, his life, and his life, he has been incarnated into a human body so that his life, rather than being a spiritual thing, then became a physical thing and flowed in his veins. And that was the most precious thing. That the Bible says you're not redeemed with things of gold and silver, but with something far more precious. The most precious thing that ever existed in the physical universe was the blood in the veins of Jesus and he gave that for something more valuable that was you and I right, he gave his only begotten son yeah. but he gave the blood the most precious price possible to pay you see there's nothing there's nothing to compare with it nothing could even come close to comparing in value certainly no jewels, gold, silver nothing in 
in any part of creation, including the spirit realm. But he gave that price for, he said, I'm paying the price for something more valuable. And that was your soul, your, your spirit, your life and mine. That's how powerful the blood is. That's how valuable the blood is. And then finally, just look at another couple. Acts chapter 20. We could go on at this all night. But I just felt the Lord saying tonight, emphasize the blood. Start with the blood. And you know, we're calling this meeting at Living Fountain, and we shared that the other day. It's, it's the name of, of the ministry anyway. Um, but there is a fountain filled with blood. When it speaks about that, that fountain, it's speaking about the blood. It says here, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church, the church universal, the ecclesia of God, the body of Christ, it's not something that, well, you know, let's start, let's start a movement. Let's start an organization. Let's incorporate it. Let's, let's give it a charity number. No, it's, a, it's a, the universal church throughout history. And it's a spiritual thing because it's Mount Zion, isn't it? You've come onto Mount Zion to an innumerable company of saints and angels. You've, it's that eternal dimension of humanity which is redeemed in the new creation and it was purchased by his blood. Again, that shows the value of the church. Ach, it's just the church. Who cares? You know, but, but, but it's only the church. Who cares if you have to wear a mask? Who cares? We can have Zoom meetings. You know, we belittle and devalue the church. The church must never be bound or prohibited by man for protocols that man creates to silence the church because the church is the blood-bought people of God. And there's nothing more precious. He purchased us with his blood. And this final one, folks, and this, this really ought to electrify us. And we'll use this to get a, a time of just really coming before the Lord and just we can worship, we can praise, you can pray, you can share. Whatever God's put in your heart, because I hope he has, that you respond to this. We can just really be in his presence after this. And, and listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, we know all these scriptures. I'm sure we, we know them all. Sometimes we just need to come fresh to them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren. And you know, it's, it's in fact, the, the NIV says, brothers and sisters. Amen. Because he says brethren, he, he's including you sisters. So brethren and sisters. Amen. Brothers and sisters. Having therefore brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest, to go beyond the veil, the sacred veil. You know, the veil is rent now. So when we go beyond, we go beyond, we, we have access beyond it. That makes sense? Back then in the Old Testament, if you wanted to get into the holiest and encounter God, we're here tonight to encounter him. If you wanted to get into the, the holy 
temple of God. You had to go through the outer court into the holy place, then into the holy of holies. You would never get near it. Because only one man could go into the holy of holies to see the Shekinah glory of God sitting above the mercy seat. And that was just once a year. He was only allowed in once a year. And he had to come with the blood of animals. And they would tie a rope to him and put a bell on the rope. Because if he went in unworthy, okay? If he went in unworthily, and by that I mean casually, glibly, or he'd just come from committing adultery with some woman. You know, he just, it's only, that's my job. It's my job, man, to be the high priest going to this holy holies, man. If he went in with that attitude, they would be hauling him out because they would, they would, they would check, they would, they would tug the rope because while he's in there doing his priestly duties, they're thinking, has he survived? So they would tug the rope and he would ring the bell. And if he didn't ring the bell, they knew, he's a dud, he's collapsed, he's dead because he's gone into the Holy of Holies. But he went in with impure. So they'd haul him out. That was, the, that was how, that was the protocol. Now, if you wanted to encounter the glory of God, the Shekinah, the Holy Ghost, if you want, back then you had, and you were in Australia, you'd have to get in a boat, or you were in Britain, or you, you, anywhere else, you'd have to travel to Jerusalem, get into the temple, which you wouldn't manage to do anyway if you weren't an Israelite. But even if you got through, they would never let you near the Holy of Holies because it, it was the high priest job once you... So you had no chance you could get near it. The outer court was probably the best you would do. But in this new covenant, we don't have to go anywhere to encounter the Shekinah glory. He's, he's in here. Isn't he? He's in here personally, in each heart that knows him. And his Shekinah glory comes into meetings as well. We've seen the glory of God meeting, sure we all have. Encountered that. The glory is no longer contained in a wee room behind a 15 inch, I think, thick curtain or whatever it was. Because the veil is right there. And the access. So he says, Come boldly. And that's the final thing I want to say. Come boldly. Have boldness to enter. He says this look. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness or the holiest sorry by the blood of Jesus the blood gives you boldness we, we talk about oh the blood gives me access and it does but it gives you boldness to enter we don't come timidly you know your children when they come to visit in the house they don't chat at the door and when you open the door they're kneeled, kneeling on the doorstep can we have access please remember you raised us or they come home from school can we get in the house mummy daddy they just throw the door on and waltz in don't they why because they have access and they come boldly because they belong you and I belong that's what the blood has done for us. Amen? Amen? So all these wonderful things that the blood of the everlasting covenant does for us, folks. And we thank God for them. And, and um, it's access, it's boldness with the access. 
And it's all these great things. Victory over the devil. And that doesn't just mean, you know, a personal spiritual warfare thing going on. That means victory over all that the devil is doing in the world right now. The victory has already been purchased for us. We just have to activate it by faith and by the word of our testimony. And, as I said, love not your life unto the death. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. 